So we're going to be in John 8, 12 through 30. If you haven't turned there, um, I'd encourage you to do so either on an app or uh, in your Bible. We're going to reference this passage a lot. We got 18 verses to go through. And so I'm going to point you back consistently. And so I'd ask that you just follow with me, follow along as, as we're going. Um, as I was studying this week and I was thinking uh, about this passage, I was thinking a lot about light. Have you ever just thought about something and you just kind of get lost in your thoughts? Uh, I do it often. I kind of space out in the car when I do it, which is not safe or dangerous. I add to the danger of Houston driving. Um, but I was doing that this week. I was thinking about light, especially with a lot of the storm clouds and a lot of the rain that was happening. Uh, whenever the sun came out, my attention was brought to it. And it wasn't just the fact that it was scorching hot uh, and immediately I'm sweating because the sun is beating down on me. It wasn't just that. The interesting aspect of light that I kept coming back to and kept thinking about over and over and over again this week was you don't have to say that light is there for you to know that light is there. Like, think about it. These lights that are on, these lamps on the side, they're just on and you know that they're on. They just show themselves. They declare themselves to be light. If I were to take out my flashlight on my phone and I turn it on, I, I wouldn't need to come uh, call one of you up to turn on your flashlight to see that light. You would just see it. And that's the amazing aspect of light that I think John is going to uh, talk about throughout this passage is that it bears witness to itself. We don't have to declare light is here. Light is on. It just bears witness to itself. It declares itself. It shows itself. And I was thinking about light in this way, and the reality for me that I kept coming back to was, man, don't I kind of do that? Doesn't my heart, doesn't our culture, don't the thoughts that I have, don't the affections of my heart, don't the passions that I follow, don't they do that similarly to light? Don't it, doesn't it just bear witness to the world what I live for, what I believe, what I will die for, what I follow? I think that we do very similar things, and it's because we follow lesser lights. We follow dimmer lights. We follow what I think are false lights. They're not really true lights. They're not really directing our path. In fact, if, if you think about it, they leave us more confused and more lost than actually found. And let me, let me say it this way. Maybe the light that you're following isn't, isn't, uh, isn't a bright a flashlight going through a dark tunnel. Maybe it's the concern of a five-year plan. Maybe it's the concern, if you can't even think that far ahead, three weeks from now. What am I going to be doing? How am I going to be successful? What am I going to be worried about in the next three weeks? Or maybe it's the concern of, are my kids perfect and behaving well? Maybe it's the concern of temporal pleasure because you're trying to escape the stress and anxiety and worry of your life. You see, I think that we all do something very similar to light itself. Our heart, what we follow, it bears witness to what we believe, what we go after, what we love, and what we're, what we're doing in this life. That's where we pick up today in John 8, 12 through 30. You see, I think what we're going to see is that Jesus addresses this issue He's speaking to the people and saying, hey, who are you following? And I think what we're going to see here is this. And if you take anything out of today, I want you to take this. That whole life illumination. 
Whole life illumination comes from continually following Jesus Christ. Whole life illumination comes from continually following Jesus Christ. And we're going to break this passage apart in a couple ways. First, we have to understand why that statement is true and why that's, why that's coming out of this passage. And then I want to show you a couple of how or by or uh, ways that we can actually walk on this path of illumination as we continually follow Jesus Christ. And so let's look back here to John. The first thing we're going to see, the why, the why that this is the case, that whole life illumination comes from continually following Jesus. This why is simply this. Jesus is the one true light to follow. Jesus is the only true light to actually follow in this life. Look back here in verse 12. It says, again, okay, time out real quick. Whenever you see again or therefore or so, you have to look above and have to understand the context of where we're at. And a couple of things to remember last week, uh, you guys talked through uh, red-handed grace and the woman who was caught in adultery, and it was around the same time as Feast of Tabernacles. And so this is happening again. John is continuing this. He's, he's showing us that Jesus is continuing on his teaching in the temple, and he's saying, okay, again, Jesus spoke to them, the crowds that are left over from this Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus here is making a bold statement. I am the light of the world. Let me explain why. The Feast of Tabernacles, as you guys may have known or may have talked about, it's a big celebration and feast. So it's ancient Jerusalem. The temple is lit up, so lit up that at night when Jerusalem is dark, the dark alleyways will still have the glow in the air from the temple. It's lit up because they are celebrating God's kindness and grace and mercy from when he took them through the wilderness in the Old Testament and delivered them into the promised land like he said he would. And how did God lead his people? Well, at night, it was through a pillar of fire. It was a pillar of fire. So God manifested in light in, in, at dark, at nighttime, and, and, and led the people of God from the wilderness, through the wilderness, and into the promised land. So this is the context that we're sitting in. Because when we first read, I am the light of the world, for us, we don't really might fully comprehend what that means. We think of a, of a lamp. Or if we're thinking really big, we might think of the sun. But what Jesus is saying here is, hey guys, I'm the cloud leading everyone. <laughs> Follow me. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will no longer be in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus makes a bold statement here. The follows me that he talks about here in verse 12, it is grammatically saying a continual following. It's not followed or follow when you want to. It's a continual following. Follows me. Whoever continually follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. So followers of Jesus, hear this. Do not live in darkness. You don't live in darkness. Because Jesus has given you the light of life. 
So back to the light conversation that we talked about a little bit at the beginning. If you're just pondering light, my next thought is, okay, what is light? How do I define that? How, how would you define light? Is it a shiny thing? Is it a, is it illuminating thing? Like, how do you define light? Well, I think it depends on your field of expertise. Uh, if there's any physicists in the room, I'm really sorry, because I'm going to bungle this really badly right now. But uh, if you're a physicist, you're worried about refraction. Like when light rushes towards its point of contact, the line, it's bending, how it bends. You're going dis- to, you're going to study that property or reflection, how light gives you a different uh, reflection to a different like I said, I'm a bungle. I don't know. I'm not a physicist. But different types of properties of light, warmth and color and temperature and all those different types of things. If you're an artist, if there's any artists in the room, I'm going to bungle this too because I'm not, I'm not an artist. But you might think, uh, man, the aesthetic of light. Like you want to go to a mountain and see the sunset and see how the colors splash across the sky in purple and orange. And you want to capture that in words or in painting or in color because you're so enamored with what light is doing in that moment. I think for us, in our everyday life, light could just be simply this, a primary tool for perceiving the world and communicating within it. Light is a primary tool for perceiving the world and communicating within it. And so think about the false lights that we follow. Perfection, success or failure, greed, temporal pleasure, whatever it may be, as you're following those false lights, That's your primary tool for perceiving the world and communicating within it. That's the low hum of your life. That's the light you're following. But what Jesus is coming on the scene to say here is, I am the light of the world. I am the primary way to perceive the world and to communicate within it. That's what Jesus is showing us here. So we understand the concept of light that Jesus was talking about, how we think of it. But you might be thinking, what does this have to do with the whole life illuminated? Like, I, okay, Jesus is the one true light. What, it, what does that mean? Like, how do I continually follow Jesus? Where does that go? Well, I think it's a couple of, of questions that you have to ask yourself and be really honest with yourself about. What light are you following? Very simply, what light are you following in your life? What is coloring your perception of the world? Is it Jesus? Is it truly Jesus or is it the concerns and anxiety and fears that you're holding on to in this life? What communication are you using? What's coming out in you? Is there a low hum irritation or anger continually present in your life? I would imagine that you're following some light that's feeding that into you. That's coloring your perception. That's allowing you to communicate that way. In the dark alleyways of your life, because we all have them, we're all broken, we all have areas of our heart that are dark or hidden, where is the light to follow Jesus not shining? I think we have to be honest with ourselves in these types of questions. When Jesus makes this statement, I am the light of life, we have to ask ourselves, okay, Jesus, You say, whoever follows you will not walk in darkness. Why do I feel like I'm walking in darkness? Why do I feel confused and concerned and fearful and anxious? And part of that is we don't live in eternity yet. We're on this side of the world where it's broken and we're experiencing our own brokenness and other people's brokenness all the time. But Jesus says, whoever continually follows me will have an illuminated life. 
there will be light. The glow of Jesus's light in your life will be present. So I commend to you, ask yourselves these questions. Do some diagnostic work on your heart this week, today, this afternoon, after lunch, before lunch, whatever it takes, get alone with the Lord and ask some of these diagnostic questions. What light are you following? What is coloring your perception? You see, this is the genius of Jesus. He knows what light you're already following. He knew what light the Pharisees and the Jews were following at the time. That's why he asked, or that's why he said, hey, I'm the light of the world. This massive statement, he says. And then the rest of this passage is dealing with the response. And I think that's dealing with our response to Jesus' statement as well. Which leads us to, okay, a whole life illuminated comes from continually following Jesus. Why? Because he's the true light of the world. Okay, now how? How do I go about living on this life, living on this path of illumination? Well, I think the first, the first how is this. You need to confront your heart's reaction to Jesus. Confront your heart's reaction to Jesus. Let's look back here at verses 13 through 20. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Let's time out. Let's stop here for a second. The Pharisees are using Jesus's words from John 5. When Jesus said, hey, I'm not bearing witness about myself. The father bears witness about me. And so the Pharisees see Jesus saying, okay, I'm the light of the world. So their response is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're bearing witness now about yourself. So you're a liar. That's what the Pharisees are saying here in verse 13. They are calling Jesus a liar. Pick up in 14. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true for it is not I alone who judge, but I am the father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony about my, the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know, neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So a whole life illuminated is true because Jesus is the one true light. And how do we get on this? Because we need to confront, or by doing this, confront your heart's reaction to Jesus. The Pharisees called Jesus a liar. Jesus then goes on to say, hey, wait a minute. You guys are calling me a liar, but the way that you judge the world, the way that you perceive the world, the way that you see everything is according to the flesh. Okay, what does that mean? Genesis 3 Adam and Eve sinned. Sin enters the world. They decided to take moral autonomy onto themselves and say, God, what you say, I don't want to listen to anymore. I want to follow after my own life. I want to be Lord of my life. I want to be king of my life. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to hear from you anymore. And so sin enters the world. Now, everything that we do, all the color that we see, all the perception that we perceive is through this, according to the flesh, broken. We're broken. We're messy. So when Jesus comes in and confronts us, when Jesus comes in and confronts the Pharisees, what they see Jesus as is through their eyes of according to the flesh. And don't we do the same? Isn't this really how we approach Jesus? I know I do. 
in my life, the amount of fear that grips my heart and my mind and my soul day to day is doing the same exact thing that the Pharisees did when they, when they were confronted by Jesus. Jesus comes in and says, don't be fearful. I'm the light of the world. Follow me. Then you won't walk in darkness. And I tell them, yeah, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. You see, Jesus will confront you through his word, his Holy Spirit. But you must not confront him the same way that the Pharisees do. I used to work at Apple before I went into uh, pastoral ministry. And uh, we, we have these situations uh, called CS issues. They're customer service issues. Uh, if you have an Apple phone and you've gone into the Genius Bar, that's what I used to manage, and your phone's not working, it's a pretty frustrating experience. And so depending on how your day went or how your week's going, a lot of that frustration will boil over into uh, a, lot of my, a lot of my people. And so then I had to kind of step in and begin to figure out, am I going to de-escalate this? Am I going to escalate this? Or am I going to just keep this neutral? Like, how am I going to respond to this? Have you guys ever been in a confrontation, either verbally or physically? I don't want to hear physically. Verbally, maybe? You've been in some kind of confrontation? Well, the thing about Apple when I'm in a CS issue is I have a split second to decide how I'm going to deal with this confrontation. I have just a fraction of a second. They're saying things about either my people or me or the company that I work for and, and love. I do love Apple. Um, and so uh, they're saying these things that are really like personal at times. And so for me, in my heart, I have to check myself. Otherwise, I'm going to get fired. Uh, I'm going to get fired. Or I'm going I'm to make the situation much, much worse than it needs to be. And I think so often when Jesus comes in and confronts our life, because listen, following Jesus means you're going to have a confrontational life with him. Jesus is going to come in and disrupt what you're thinking, what you're doing, what you're believing, what you're loving. And you have to decide in a split second how you're going to respond to this Jesus. Are you going to call him a liar like the Pharisees do? Or are you going to stop for a second and consider the claims? Consider what Jesus is actually saying. You know, some of you here in the local church are following Jesus. And you hear a statement like, I am the light of the world, and you're like, man, I wouldn't call Jesus a liar for that. Okay, like he's God. I know that, so that's fine. That's okay. That's no problem. I, I don't really get the confrontation, Tyler. Like, how, do I, how, how would I need to check my heart response in that? Well, what about other things that Jesus says? Just in particular, too, when he says in the Gospels that, that lust in your heart equals adultery. When Jesus says that to you, What's your heart response? Sometimes, to be honest, my heart response to something like that big of a spectrum to be really like a glance that I, I'm making is adultery, Jesus. Like that seems harsh. But that's what Jesus says. So we need to confront our heart's response to him. What about this? Anger in your heart towards a brother or sister, Christ or anyone is equal to murder. You've murdered them. This is, these are the words of Jesus. What is your heart response to those words? Because when he says, I am the light of the world, and then he says, continually follow me, when he says, continually follow me, it's taking things like this, these types of sayings, and wrestling with them, and confronting your heart's response to this Jesus. So, here are a few ways to confront your heart response. I wanted to give you something that I try to employ every day. I fail at. I'm not good at it all the time. But I hope that this helps you 
in your thought life, in your heart life, to confront your heart's response to Jesus. The first is this, name what's there. Have you ever just stopped your thoughts from running? You're thinking about stuff all the time. Have you ever just stopped and asked yourself, what am I thinking about right now? Name it. What's there? Let's take fear, for example. If you have an underlying fear in your life, just name it. Okay, I have fear. I'm experiencing fear right now. That's one. The second is this. Ask if that's true of God. Is fear true of God? If this is really true about me right now, that I'm fearful, that I'm experiencing fear, then what does that say about who God is? What belief about God am I having? Ask these types of questions because I guarantee you everything you're experiencing is tied to a belief in your heart about who you believe God is, who you believe this Jesus is. So ask, if that's true, then is that true of God? Is that an actual right belief about who God is? The third is this. Once you've isolated those things, confess that to God. First John says, we read as a part of our liturgy this morning, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful to cleanse us and forgive us. Forgiveness is literally right there for us. Right there. All we have to do is confess. Second is, uh, the, the fourth is this, speak truth. Once you've confessed it, speak truth. What is true about God? What do you know to be true about God? Okay, let's talk about fear a little bit more. Okay, if, I, if I'm experiencing fear, then I'm probably believing about God that he's out of control or very far from me or not loving to me. Maybe mean. Maybe we would say something like that. Confess that to God and then say, okay, what is true about God? Well, I know that God is in control of all things. He says in the Psalms that the world is but a footstool to him as he sits on the throne looking over everything. He, it says in, uh, in the Proverbs that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God is in control. So speak truth. What is true about God? And then finally, as a way to confront your heart response, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus' life. What did he do that we can't do? Okay, fear is an example. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was at a point of such sorrow the night before he was dying on the cross, before he was about to absorb the wrath of the Father on the cross, was in such sorrow that he was sweating blood, he was weeping. And he says, Father, if this cup can pass from me, will you make it so? But your will be done, not mine. Jesus, I would say, was probably a little scared to absorb the wrath of God in that moment. But you know what he did? He obeyed. He obeyed. I wouldn't obey in that moment. <laughs> if, if, I, if I were the one to stand before and to die for all of your sins, I'll be honest with you, I don't even think I would want to die for my own sins. But Jesus was obedient and did that. He did what we can't do. And so trust that. Trust him. Follow the light of the world. Do you see how fear disappears? Do you see how darkness becomes light? Confront your heart's response and you will have a whole life illumination as you continually follow Jesus. Okay, the second how. So we said that confront your heart's response. Now it's acknowledge Jesus' identity versus your identity. Acknowledge Jesus' identity versus your identity. Verses 21 through 24 is this really, really profound uh, conversation, but it's super confusing. Look at it. 
So he said to them, again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I'm from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I think we need to understand uh, really quickly that like the Jews of Jesus' time, we are often confused by what Jesus says. What was the first thing they said here in verse, uh, in verse 21? Or, uh, sorry, in, uh, they say, who are you in verse, in verse 25? They say, who are you? Jesus, I'm confused. Wait, are you going to kill yourself? Like, that's where they jump. You, you said that you're going somewhere where I can't go. Well, I can't follow you if you kill yourself. So are, is that what he's doing? Like, what is he saying right now? And so often in our life, so often in my life, so often in your life, I would, I would wager that we're just confused. The reason why we're confused is because we do not acknowledge Jesus's identity versus our identity. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. Has anyone ever played the old school game of telephone? Maybe in elementary school or middle school. Not the one where you have a tin can and a, and a string attached, but like you sit in a big circle and someone has a message and you just pass it along. And usually by like the third person, especially if you have a, a class clown in your group, it's like a completely different one. It's like, my mom is happy to, uh, her cat is hairy. Like, how did, how did you get from those two statements? No idea. But that's the game of telephone. That's the fun of it is it's confusing. You don't fully understand it. You don't know completely completely the, uh, it's just super not clear. And the great part of the game is at the end, right? When you ask and say, if I started the message, you're like, Tyler, what was the message? And it's like, my mom is happy. You're like, oh, how do we get to my dog is chunky. Like, I don't understand. How do we get to that? You see clarity and illumination doesn't come until you ask the originator of the message. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that he is the originator. He is God. Did you catch this here? He says in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This language in, in the Greek and in English as it's translated is a little fuzzy and confusing. It's like, what does Jesus mean by I am he? It is so close to the Hebrew way of saying God, of saying Yahweh. It's almost indistinguishable but confusing enough to where the Jews are like, what? As we're about to see in verse 25, who are you? Jesus is trying to say, listen to me. I'm the light of the world. I can say that because I'm the originator of it. I am God. It's how John opened up this whole book in John 1. He's trying to say that Jesus is God. He's the originator. He's from above. It stops and starts with him. We are from below. We're in brokenness. We can't see clearly. We can't judge clearly. We need Jesus because apart from him, there is no clarity. Apart from the light of the world, we walk in darkness. We need Jesus. We need to follow after him continually to be able to see this. So we must acknowledge Jesus's identity versus our identity. This is how we continually follow Jesus and have whole life illumination. So we've said that, that this is true. Whole life illumination comes from continually following Jesus because he's the one true light to follow. 
How do we do this? Well, we said that we need to confront our heart's response. We need to acknowledge Jesus' identity versus our identity. And we need to clarify your spiritual perception through the cross of Christ. You need to clarify your spiritual perception through the cross of Christ. Look at verse 25, verse 30. They said to him, Jesus, after he makes this this confusing but pretty bombshell statement that they are not clued into yet, they will at the end of the chapter, spoiler alert when you guys get there, but they don't know yet. So they say, who are you? Who are you, Jesus? And he said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. There it is again. Once you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. Okay, so what's happening here? Well, I think what's happening here is John and Jesus are exposing to us that our lack of spiritual perception does not change who Jesus is or what he came to do. Hear this. Our lack of spiritual perception doesn't change who Jesus is or what he came to do. We ask Jesus, who are you? A lot of the time. We've talked about that. And Jesus tells us in response, I've been telling you from the beginning. Since I was wrapped into flesh and put in a manger in Bethlehem, my whole birth, everything about who I am has been proclaiming to you that I am he. I'm God. I am the light of the world. Truthfully, though, we were never going to fully clearly see it until he went to the cross. That's what Jesus is saying here. Our brokenness has put such scales on our eyes that until Jesus went to the cross, until he lived his perfect life that we could never live, died the death that we deserve to die, then rose three days later from the grave showing that he has conquered sin, shame, and death. It is in that work, that completion, that we now are able to clarify our spiritual perception. It is now, as Jesus says in verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Then you will know that I am God because I'm getting up out of the grave three days later. We can celebrate that. We can now have clear spiritual perception. We can now have a whole life illuminated and continually follow this Jesus because we do it through the cross of Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a new believer, if you grew up in the church, if you've followed Jesus for decades, your spiritual perception never graduates you from the cross. I need us to hear this in the suburbs of Texas where I'm planting too. We will never graduate from the cross of Christ ever. When we are with him finally, you know what we're going to be doing? Worshiping the lamb that was slain. Clarify your spiritual perception through the cross of Christ. It is central 
to who we are as believers, as followers of Jesus. We cannot fully perceive that he's light of the world unless we do it through the cross of Christ. We all need the cross. We all need resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. Otherwise, we are walking in darkness. And followers of Jesus, if you have felt like you've been walking in darkness or lack of clarity, I would wager that we are not laboring to remember the cross of Christ. We are not laboring to remember the good news of Jesus Christ, that he wrapped himself in flesh and died for us, that we have experienced grace in light of that. We have experienced mercy. And so draw near to the throne of grace. Draw near to him. Through God-enabled faith, clarify your spiritual perception through the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus. You can follow Jesus. You can trust Jesus. You can obey this Jesus. You can believe in this Jesus. And you can put your whole life trust in this Jesus. So, John 8, 12-30 tells us that whole life illumination comes from continually following Jesus Christ. We know this is true because he is the one true light. How do we do it? We confront our heart's response. We acknowledge Jesus' identity versus our identity, and we clarify our spiritual perception through the cross of Christ. And so, would you follow this, Jesus? Would you hold on? Would you persevere and continue to follow this Jesus? He's the light of the world. Follow him. Don't walk in darkness. Have your life illuminated by this good and gracious Savior and King. Let's pray. Father, woe is me. Woe are we, sinful people, broken, in need of a Savior. And Jesus, you as light of the world, you burst forth. And you gave us a way to follow you. You gave us a life to follow, an example to live into. You died a death that we should have died. When you said in in John 8, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, Jesus, we lifted you up with our sin and brokenness. But you still went graciously, full of mercy, full of truth, Jesus, thank you. Would you help each one of us follow you continually? I know in my own heart, I must confess, there are times where I am weary. Where sometimes I doubt and I question and I wonder, Jesus, where does this end? Because I can't see it. I know that's a lot of our lives. We're spent in crippling fear and anxiety and pain and stress and worry. We overcompensate through pride and through jokes and through, you name it, greed, success-driven life. Jesus, would we not follow these false lights? Please, I pray blessings on the Grove Church that they would not follow these false lights, that they would follow the one true light. That's you, Jesus. Would you continue to lead them in this? Would you continue to help them follow you? 
God, would we see you, Jesus, as the true light? Would you help us, Holy Spirit, confront our heart's response daily? Would you help us acknowledge your true identity, Jesus, as God, as King? Would you help us clarify our spiritual perception through the cross, through the gospel, through our everyday life? Would our neighbors and our family and our friends and our coworkers, would everyone we come in contact with see you, Jesus, the light of the world through us, through this work that you've called us to do? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.